I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Juan Meza, who is the Department Head and Senior Scientist of High Performance Computing Research at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, and we're talking about math and the climate. Juan, can you tell us uh, what we know about the climate and how math was used to get that knowledge? Oh, absolutely. And first of all, let me thank you for uh, this interview. Uh, I'd love to talk about this area, and I I think it's an exciting time to be a mathematician. So what do we know about climate? Well, there's a lot of different things that we know and we're starting to understand better. I guess the one thing I'd like the listeners to know is that temperatures are rising. That is pretty much an established fact now. And uh, with a very high likelihood, it's human-induced. And so all of the math models that we have, all the computer models that have been developed over the last 20 or 30 years, have pretty much shown that, that these two, two facts are, are now uh, pretty much something that, that we're going to have to live with. Even though those models have some discrepancy, like different ones call for different magnitudes of change, it's pretty well agreed that there is change going on and, and we're a big part of it. Absolutely, absolutely. In, in fact, I think this is one of the questions that I get asked very often is, uh, you know, you have so many different models and that they don't agree exactly and so doesn't that mean that uh, we're not sure about what's going on? But in fact, I look at it the other way. We have, I don't know, on the order of probably of 20 or some odd uh, models throughout the world. And what they all say pretty much to, to a T is that the trends are there and the equations that we're solving are telling us that, in fact, that while there's not agreement on, on the fine details, that, that all of the, the larger trends that we're going to see are definitely all predicted by all of the different models. And, and, and these models come from things that I, I think your, your listeners can appreciate. I mean, these are partial differential equations, nonlinear equations, statistics. I mean, all, all of the math that we know and love has been used in one aspect or another in trying to uh, develop the models and in solving them and in analyzing the data that comes out of that. So are the discrepancies due because people use different parameters or the weights they put on the parameters or, or what they use for feedback? Oh, that's a great question. So one of the things that, that of course, uh, is hard to understand is that these climate models are, are extremely complex endeavors. That these are code teams or, or uh, people that are, you know, mathematicians, computer scientists, uh, and climate models that are joint forces. And so some of these codes can take years to develop, and they have many different components to them. The essential elements are, are pretty much the same across many of these models. You have to model the atmosphere, of course. You have to model the ocean. You have to model the land and, of course, the ice, which is a large portion of the, uh, of the sea. And even though there are essentially the same set of equations, the, what happens is that different people will use slightly different physics just based on what they know and what they think is more important. So at the high level, things are very much the same. Some of the finer details, I think people will disagree. But this is actually good because what that means is that you can then try lots of different variations. And it's exactly that's the reason why I think that when you look at 20 different models, they all have slightly different variations they all still give you the same general trends. And so we're seeing the exact same kinds of, of problems arising from all the models. The other thing that's different, of course, is that the inputs that go into the models. So this will be temperatures at a given point in time and space or some boundary conditions for the partial differential equations, for example. People will, will try different variations because, of course, there's a certain amount of uncertainty in those parameters. And so that gives rise to, to certain changes in, in the outputs also. So, in, in fact, if you take a look at one of the biggest questions right now uh, in terms of trying to understand climate modeling, it's exactly how to quantify that uncertainty. And there's certainly one hot topic for mathematical research. Can math help in mitigate the human component uh, of climate change? 
Well, that's a good question. So there are several efforts that are ongoing right now in terms of mitigation. The one that people are probably the most familiar with is something called carbon uh, capture and sequestration. Well, let me go back to why that's important. So as most people probably know, the the main greenhouse gas, the one that's causing the most trouble is is carbon dioxide. And this is an outcome of the burning of fossil fuels. So all of the gasoline that we use in our cars, the the heating oil in our houses, even the electricity that gets generated is all uh, because we're, we're burning fossil fuels and that generates carbon dioxide. So what happens is then that one of the main mitigation strategies is to then say, well, Maybe we can take that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, and that will help in, uh, in terms of global warming. So in that strategy, there are several people that have been proposing ideas such as, for example, capturing the carbon dioxide as it comes out of these, say, plants, the power plants, and then once it's captured, then sequester it somewhere. So, for example, bury it deep inside the ground in, say, uh, an oil reservoir or some other place where you know it, you can keep it underground for many, many years. And that involves a lot of computer modeling because you need to understand how carbon dioxide is captured first, how you would trap it inside an underground reservoir for, say, 10,000 years or more. Again, there's lots of partial differential equations, mathematics, the flow through porous media, uh, lots of really exciting places where math come into trying to understand that. The other aspect is just in trying to develop renewable energy sources. 85% of our, our energy right now comes from the combustion of fossil fuel. So if we could get away from that and try to develop new renewable energy sources, such as solar cells, uh, wind, other things like that, that would help us and, and reduce our, our reliance on uh, fossil fuels. And so math is involved in trying to, for example, predict new materials for solar cells, make them, making them more efficient, and just trying to come up with new materials that people maybe perhaps hadn't thought about before by designing them on on a computer. That turns out to boil down to an optimization problem. And so you can see that math is used in many areas in mitigation. That's Juan Meza, who's department head and senior scientist at High Performance Computing Research at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. And in part two of the interview, we'll talk about some of the misconceptions he finds that people have about mathematics and mathematicians and his advice on how individuals can help mitigate climate change. 